0: From 11FS, this is Fintech Insider News, and this is your host, David Breer. We've just finished recording our new show live from Money 2020. We're bringing you the biggest stories of the week, including Wells Fargo Partners with Google on Virtual Assistant, which is a super interesting story. We touched a little bit on whether the Virtual Assistant is the biggest part of this story or or whether really just really, really big bank partners with a a really great technology company to to solve some major problems. We also talked about Fireblocks' Launching a digital assets payments engine, which again is another indication that the, the crypto world is increasingly moving towards the mainstream in that sense. And we also talk with our guests about what buzzwords would you ban from money 2020. Ecosystem would probably be very high up in my agenda in that sense. We get into this and all much more on the show. But first, a few brief messages. Don't go anywhere.
1: These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. Just add your job and the purple hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring. Then use simple tools like screening questions to quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash fintech. That's linkedin.com slash fintech to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Here at 11FS, we believe in explaining FS without the BS. That's why we created our 11FS Explore series. Weekly videos that break down a complicated financial services topic into something everyone can get their head around. Such as on buy now pay later, the cost of living, ESG, stablecoins, telematics insurance, and inclusive design. Search Eleven First explores on YouTube now.
0: Welcome to episode 676 of Fintech Insider, coming to you live from Las Vegas. Uh, My name is David Breer, and I'm joined this week on Fintech Insider News by some amazing guests to talk about some of the biggest stories announced here at Money 2020. Making a welcome return to Fintech Insider, we have Lindsay Davis, who is the head of markets over at Atomic. Welcome back to the show, Lindsay. How are you doing? Fabulous. Yeah, had a good Money 2020? I have it read money
2: 2020, and it's still going.
0: Very good. Well, we'll talk about that a little bit more later. For anybody who doesn't know Atomic, what are you guys up to?
2: We build payroll connectivity and we enable end consumers to switch their direct deposit, access income and employment verification data, as well as tap their earned but unpaid wages straight out of
0: a payroll system. Very, very good. Thank you. you practiced that, haven't you? That was, that was slick. That was nice. It was, yeah, it was it good.
2: Was, it was raw. It was yeah. very, very nice. Bar. Thank you.
0: Uh, it is also a welcome return to Fintech Insider for Charlie Marr General Manager over at Alloy. Welcome back, Charlie. How's it going? I'm alive. That's all I can say. <laughs> it's been one of those weeks. been yeah. one of those weeks, yeah. definitely. Yeah. I mean, the the coconut water and water, like Power you're, you're hydrating a oh, lot. Yeah. Yeah. I
3: respect that.
4: Thank you.
0: Um, for anybody who's listening who doesn't know Alloy, what do you guys do?
4: Yeah. Uh, we call ourselves a risk and identity decisioning engine. So we enable financial institutions of all shapes and sizes, connect to... Uh, hundreds of different data sources around identity, risk, credit uh, for our uh, onboarding, underwriting, and transaction monitoring. Very cool. Welcome back to the show. Uh, and last but by no means least, we
0: have a debut here on FinTech Insider News, Lindsay Argalas, the COO over at TaxBit. Welcome to the show, Lindsay. How's it going?
3: It's great. Thank you. Glad to be here.
0: Uh, can you give us a bit of an overview for anybody who doesn't know what you guys do?
3: Yeah, sure. We at Taxbed, uh provide tax and accounting solutions for companies that deal with digital assets. And so we connect over 500 wallets and exchanges, 10,000 tokens, and uh, help provide those tax and accounting statements and calculations.
0: Very very cool. Uh, all right, well, we better get into the news because there's a hell of a lot to cover, and we're going to get kicked out of this room in about an hour, so we can't go too long. Uh, there's lots of uh, lots of fun things we could be talking about in that sense. But uh, uh, first up, we had a story that was over on uh, Forbes, but covered uh, here at uh, Money 2020 was Wells Fargo launches virtual assistant named Fargo. Uh, Wells Fargo will use Google technology to launch a new virtual assistant set to roll out to customers in the coming months using Google Cloud's conversational AI platform. I feel like we probably, uh, they could come up with some acronym to make that easier for me to go through. Wells Fargo hopes to provide a more personalized, convenient, and simple banking experience primarily for mobile users. The service called Fargo will be similar to Erica, the virtual assistant of Bank of America. Um, What do you guys think to this one? Is, Is this type of assistant... I mean, like you said, the Erica thing, has that that gone well? What do you think, Lindsay?
2: The transaction volume is increasing. So from like a user adoption standpoint, I I do believe it is helping. And when you think about how many consumers were just trying to do basic things and it was being processed overseas in a back office and consumers weren't getting access to what they needed. If that can actually help in those scenarios, 100%. Like it's a, it's a necessary feature. I'm not quite certain why it's news. However, it seems like you don't announce when you're the second to market with what is probably a table stakes features now for the big FIs. However, it's good that they're continuing to innovate and trying to offer solutions instead of just accepting. Well, you can't accept the inevitability here. However, I, I believe it's a good move. I would like to see more from it.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's um, sort of a, an announcement around, I guess, things that will come down the line
4: potentially. But Charlie, what do you think? I don't know. I've never actually used any of the conversational banking mobile features. Um, like, I, I'm curious as to who is the audience and what is the demand and what's the kind of the burning need use case. Like, is that the killer product that the market's been waiting for? Uh, like, everyone's been waiting for conversational mobile banking. Not so sure, but uh, you know, at least they're they're doing something around. Data and and partnering with Google, I think that's the interesting story. Yeah, and uh,
0: I mean, there's a lot of announcements uh, or a lot of headlines about sort of Wells Fargo's technology estate, and Mm -hmm. maybe this is a, you know, if you can't fix all of that, then maybe uh, an AI assistant (laughs) can uh, try and locate (laughs) all of the data. Regulatory side, I don't know, but uh, yeah, Yeah, you've just messed with a lot of people listening to this at home. Oh, I'm so sorry. It's just, it's just not cool, man. Uh, No,
3: I, I think you know this is just a continued part of you know at Wells Fargo and any banks digital transformation right it's another way that the customers are going to contact um you know this is another way to get more efficient instead of having them you know contact uh, the customer support or having live humans answer it so it's just it's continued transformation I don't think it's anything particularly innovative in fact I think it's a little bit late to the game mm. um and again I applaud the fact that they're using Google AI right for the search capability and all of that mm. that Google brings to to play but um I, I don't think this is particularly innovative but but again applaud on improving the customer experience mm-hmm. yeah
0: I mean it's an interesting one because I mean I, I will do almost anything to not have to talk to a Exactly. Sort of person on the phone. So you know, if this is a step in that direction to to make that a thing, but I, I think I agree with you, Charlie. It's, it's probably more interesting like Wells Fargo does a thing with Google than necessarily what the announcement is around what they're doing right now, right?
3: Exactly. And I think using again using the capability of other players, right, rather than trying to build it in-house, like many of the financial institutions have tried to do. So I, I think it's a good step in the right direction there. Post Malone yeah. sounds like there's a party in the background.
0: Yeah, but like. I don't know what time of day it is. I don't know really where we are, but there's always a party going on somewhere here, isn't there? So, Or at least a very heavy bass beat, which is nice. But um, do, do you think, um, I mean, who's the odd one out here then in terms of uh, the, the big banks are all sort of coming out and making these announcements around doing these types of things? To your point, Lindsay, is this just sort of table stakes now, as in, you know, is this a real, uh, is this a customer-driven or customer-demanded feature in that sense? Because, you know, I, I'm not sure I see that demand on that side.
2: I mean, 100% of this room is in agreement. like we have no interest in, and that's the thing that I want, other than to, to quickly chat to something and say, why did you charge me this? I'm going to churn. Thank you very much. Give it back. Mm-hmm.
0: Lindsay, a very demanding customer yeah. of, of <laughs> for a bank. And that's They're a- lucky
2: they still have me. They've had me since I was nine years old. Oh, wow. <laughs> like, they acquired Wachovia. Oh.
0: And what, so they, what did they come into your school and sort of, <laughs> yeah, that's
4: a young age. How'd the, they get you?
2: I was babysitting and I needed to put my money somewhere. Wow. And then I opened a CD at 13 and then I had to pay taxes on that. And I Just, just go, go raise venture then. money, that's money on that people, right now. Yeah. right. Someone asked me how long. ago. you a paying
0: for babysitters. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Bank, bank of niches. Like that's a, that's a whole thing, right?
2: I mean, yeah. honestly, there needs to be KYC around the babysitting industry. So. KYC
0: babies. There we go. (laughs) Well, are you going to do KYC? Know your child. Yeah. Is it KYC and also like sort of a sanctions vibe as well? You know, like, are you fit. There's like a whole background story.
2: Babysitters are the money launderers of 2022. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a story.
0: Yeah. Well, we'll cover that next week. I'm sure in that sense, (laughs) but, uh, all right, we need to move on because there's a, uh, a bunch of other stories to, to, to get to on this one. But I think, you know, in conclusion, like, you know, uh, Shrug, I guess a little bit in terms of the the thing, but, uh, you know, I'm sure if they're investing heavily and doing interesting things in the back office with Google, then there'll be some more interesting announcements to come on that one as well. All right. Uh, this is one that we picked up over on City AM, which is Fireblocks launches digital asset payments engine with FIS as new pilot partner. So uh, blockchain platform Fireblocks has launched its payments engine suite the suite of tools enables payment service providers psps to provide a blockchain agnostic end-to-end solution for users to accept manage and settle digital payment transactions early pilot partners checkout.com uh, has facilitated more than 1 billion dollars in digital asset merchant settlements through this solution this year which is pretty impressive in uh, In the Uh, You know, the early stages of this one. Um, With the launch of their new engine, Fireblocks is also bringing on board FIS, the largest merchant acquirer in the world. Um, To find out a little bit more about why payment service providers need blockchain agnostic solutions, we caught up with Fireblocks VP of payments, uh, Ran Goldie, on the Floor of Money 2020 yesterday.
5: Well, I guess it's super important for PSPs to become blockchain agnostic because they need to understand that blockchain is the new global payment system. They need to understand that while we do have payment systems like FedNow, faster payments, those are all very regional and local. And if they want to bridge everything together, and if they do want transparency, predictability of money movement, they need to get on the blockchain. Why does do many blockchains matter? Because every blockchain gives you different benefits. Some blockchains are cheaper, some blockchains are faster, some blockchains are private. You, as a PSP, need to learn what's best for you and really just understand, start with one blockchain because it's really the future and the future is here now. So this is the first time ever that someone put out a suite of tools for PSP. Up until now, there have been hundreds of crypto payment companies offering maybe crypto acceptance, maybe doing cross-border, but they were going directly to the merchants. This is the first time that PSPs are getting a suite of tools that they can build on top of those. They can integrate those into their infrastructure and build merchant services. Money 2020 is probably the pinnacle of everything that is payments. And for us, it was obvious we want to share the news here.
0: Very cool. Uh, I sort of made the joke off there. It's, uh, that sounded very Dr. Zeus in the middle there, isn't it? It's like some blockchains are blue, some blockchains are purple, you know.
3: Simplified. Yeah,
0: exactly. I mean, it's an interesting one, right? There's a, I mean, there's a real thing here in, in terms of actually being able to, you know, take this to broader and broader audiences. But Lindsay, what do you think?
3: Sure. I think, I think where this is most interesting is on the cross-border payments, right? So mm-hmm. when you look at um, a lot of the uh, online marketplaces, the gaming marketplaces, the creator platforms, those are all global in nature. And so I think there's a huge opportunity here for the cross-border payments use case. And so I love that they uh, have announced that are enabling the payments.
0: Mm. I mean, there's some sort of stats here around, uh, I mean, we're seeing... Uh, reports anticipating more than 75% of retailers plan to adopt digital asset payment services. So, you know, this is going to go from sort of nowhere to, to really sort of mainstream really, really quickly in that sense.
3: Yeah, I think the question is a matter of uh, how quickly, right? Mm. So it's always a question of the time horizon. But again, I think there's really good use cases and it's natural extension that they would start trying to do the payments um, enablement.
0: Yeah. I guess, Charlie, as the, the sort of this fabric change at the the bottom of the technology stack of, of everything that we're seeing in financial services is changing, is this just another another piece that's being put in
4: place to to get to a different outcome in that sense? I think so. I, I mean, I, th- I think the thing that I've been interested and excited about with blockchain and crypto has sort of been all of the, the, the progress being made around stable coins, kind of talking about cross-border uh, and making that seamless Um but I, I think it's kind of solves one part of the, the mark of sort of like the ecosystem, right? Where merchant adoption, great, you've kind of solved that and made that easy. But I still think there's a lot of issues around consumer adoption, use of ease of use, and uh, kind of abstracting away a lot of the dealing with crypto, working with different blockchains. Like the average consumer is not going to understand. All the different blockchains that they should or shouldn't be using, right? Um, but I, I do think it's an interesting progress being made, at least on the merchant side, to make that. Hey, if the consumer adoption is coming in for your products, uh, it makes it much easier. Where you don't have to deal with key management, custody, it's sort of abstracting away the on-ramp, off-ramping part of the crypto side. Yeah, and
0: and do you think we'll sort of move much more towards sort of crypto payments being a more of a mainstream thing? I, I mean, obviously, there's the uh, currency fluctuations, but the the pound's not exactly stable these days. So uh, you know, do you think that will move to being more mainstream in that sense?
4: I think so. Uh, but I I, my, I sort of think stablecoin is stable coins is more of a kind of a platform shift and it's going to be like another sort of payment rail, right? Where the average consumer doesn't know about Fed Now, ACH, wires, uh, trips, etc., right? And it's going to be another sort of a payment payment enablement feature functionality that's available to them. But uh, I think the key is getting businesses to adopt that as uh, I just kind of, uh, I can't just doing business. Yeah. I, I guess they, they sort of mentioned
0: creators a little bit in this, Lindsay, in terms of like creator economy and those things. I mean, I've enabled it on Twitter, but nobody's giving me tips at this stage. So like, uh, you know, in any yeah. form, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, I'll take like $10 bills, like <laughs> Vegas, baby. Like, we're all good. You
2: want some chips?
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I said to you, uh, John Zanoff last night was the guy with all the chips. So like, uh, yeah. Um, but um, do you think this has the potential for kind of impacting creative economy a little bit more in terms of enabling that that sort of tipping mechanism around those things?
2: I'm less interested in that feature level because I think, to Charlie's point, that the consumer is ultimately going to be the person that's going to dictate the direction. And as we all continue to build products and services... Staying very close to that customer is, first and foremost, the most fundamental thing you can do. It is about trust. You know, this whole fintech industry and ecosystem came out of this modern version of it, came out of the financial crisis and a lack of trust in financial institutions. And so the more that we can do to give them opportunities to build trust with their financial institutions again by adopting blockchain technology. They're sending a signal to their customer, like it's okay and it's safe to use. Mm. Uh, from an FIS perspective, you know, that is a major player in the space. And then from an infrastructure point of view, if they're paying attention to it, if it's on their roadmap as of the things that they, you know, come to market with, that's a priority for them. Like we should all be paying attention because there's applications that are as a result of other Infrastructure changes like the merge, right? It's become more scalable and it's easier to adopt. And for the merchants, they just want to get paid
6: and they want to save
2: on fees. So Mastercard and Visa, they obviously have their own blockchain strategies, but they're paying attention to this news more than is even mentioned.
0: Yeah, and, and you sort of say about that—that that sort of um, you know bigger players. The the the. Uh, do you think that is a trust thing, or do you think it is a a, a relevance? As in, you know, the, there's a sort of a push here for. Maintaining relevance to a younger and younger demographic, in that sense, is this a getting down with the kids type thing? In terms of, no,
2: I don't think it's that at all. I okay. think it's it's somewhat, you know, recession proof to their knowledge, and then also from a you know innovative standpoint, they recognize that they can no longer be first to be second in a market. Like they need to move the market themselves, and I think that that comes down to they've been playing from behind on certain strategies and features. It's time to set the. And the direction, like your relevance is going to be tied to how you led your own category. It has nothing to do with, I would love to believe that, right? But at the end of the day, they don't care about the person that doesn't have a stable income quite yet. They care about serving their their core base of populations. And if that's what they're demanding, if the merchants are demanding it, that's where the market's
0: going to go. Again, Lindsay a tough customer for any bank out there but, uh, <laughs> if you'd like some customer feedback then uh, we can connect you but uh, um, I mean are we a uh, sort of a, a kind of mainstream moment then for crypto in that sense is this the is this the is this the moment we've been waiting for in terms of uh, you know things have really turned a corner
3: I think we're at the we're at the cusp of that right so the entrance of um, large players like FIS and we know that all of the traditional financial institutions and the, the large um, networks and stuff are at the cusp of entering I think you know, that is going to be a real real watershed moment. Um, and so I think this is the beginning of it. And again, the, the question is is how quickly that manifests itself here over the next two to three years. But the enablement and the early adoption, I think, is, is going to be great. And I think it's going to still continue to be a consumer-led um, uh, trend because the reality is I don't know how many of the merchants yet are wanting to accept uh, crypto payments. But the fact that the infrastructure is being built so that they can do that and that they're ready as the consumers drive, I think will is a big part.
0: Yeah. How do you sort of think the the sort of more broad crypto community will react to things going mainstream? You know, it feels like when uh, punk rock started getting uh, like really popular and whatnot, you know, that sort of Nirvana moment where, uh, you know, you're seeing sort of nine-year-old kids wearing Nirvana t-shirts. It's like, do you think the community is going to react positively to that when it
4: becomes... Just popular in that sense. I think it depends on what part of the community you're talking about, right? Like, I think you're always going to have the DeFi kind of degens that, you know, KYC is is is, it's evil, and uh, you know, we should no one should know, no one should know who's transacting on what, and I think that's unfortunately not quite the reality that we can live in in today's day and age, right? And so I, I, I think that for people that have kind of being in the industry uh, around crypto and want to see kind of mass market adoption, I think that's a a really, really good signal. I still think it's probably on the really, really early side uh, of things. Uh, FIS isn't exactly known to be the fastest moving infrastructure provider in the world, but that's not their job, right? Their job is to keep things stable, to make sure things work, and make sure that banks don't break, right? Uh, And So I think it's a really, really good signal, uh, and I'm excited to see large FIs start to adopt it uh, kind of core providers start to build against it. But I still think it's really, really early.
2: Well, let's not think, forget about the community banks, right? They often don't have a CTO, and they use FIS, Pfizer, Jack Henry, and the cores to buy technology, and they trust them. They're add-on services. So for them to be able to have this as a feature or an ability to reduce their cost structure, that's a huge win for them. And again, out of the financial crisis, you have regulation like Dodd-Frank and the Durbin Amendment, which kind of got slid in there at the end, to protect those community banks, because they were there was a big curve and then it went, it mm-hmm. dropped off. And then we've not seen as many licenses in America. We haven't seen as many de novos. It's starting to pick back up again. But if they're going to make a risk of, with their roadmap, they need to be able to trust whom they're working with and having that core infrastructure, like that's gonna be a big win
3: for them if if it gets adopted to Charlie's point. But it is early innings. Yeah. I do think that the sentiment has changed over the last nine months as well in the crypto community. Um, you know, there is a little bit of humility that has set in, um, you know, come May, June. And so I think that's where they appreciate now the fact that there is some mainstream and the volume and the transaction and the legitimacy coming in because they see that that is required, particularly as the regulators are clamping down. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Well, we'll keep an eye on this one. It's going to be a, a super interesting one to, to watch. Uh, we're going to take a little bit of a quick break. We'll be back with you very shortly.
1: The rise of data-driven financial services has opened up new ways for banks and lenders to better connect with their customers and offer exceptional user experiences. But to take advantage of these opportunities, we need to break away from traditional constraints. A new report from Tink shows how open banking can pave the way for faster and more responsible lending practices that are robust on risk and financially inclusive. To find out how Tink can help you transform lending, read the full report at tink.com forward slash 11FS.
0: Welcome back to the second half of the show. Let's get into the next story that we had. It was picked up over on AltFi, which is Adyen moves into embedded finance with dual product launch. Dutch payments provider Adyen has launched two SME-focused embedded finance products, Capital and Accounts sort of say what they do in the tin to a certain degree in there in terms of the naming conventions, but Capital will allow businesses access to small cash advances via its platform, which it claims can be provisioned in minutes uh, using its own proprietary data. Accounts will offer eligible business users company-branded checking accounts protected under the relevant local deposit guarantee schemes. The move brings the Dutch firm into direct competition with companies such as Block, Stripe, and PayPal by offering credit products alongside its core payment functions. Uh, both services are now available to all platforms and marketplace businesses uh, in the US, Europe, uh, via Adyen's existing platform. Uh, to find out a little bit more about this, we caught up with uh, Hemmo Boscher. I'm pretty sorry, I pronounced that badly, so uh, do apologize. VP of Platforms and Financial Services, and asked him, why was this the right time to actually launch these products?
6: So why these products and why now? If you look at the world, there are a number of converging trends. Platform penetration in SMB segments has really, really ramped up since late 2010s. So that means that these SMBs for Atyen are now in reach. As other trends, if you look at the trust in banks with the global financial crisis, with the fact that more regional offices are closing, a bank is now incredibly, or increasingly, sorry, a, a faceless app, right? Just like other faceless apps. And this this sort of trust gap between banks and platforms is narrowing. Um, and th- these platforms are, are, are sort of trusted portals where these SMBs run their business. And I think now the most important trend that's converging with these that we should highlight is, is technology. The fact that technology has now evolved to the degree where financial services can be offered through these SaaS platforms and marketplaces. And where SMBs are comfortable getting these financial services from the place where they already run their business. Yeah, It just really democratizes access to, to financial services, to capital, to accounts. I think we're seeing a lot of these small businesses with funding needs that now have to reach out to friends and family because bank won't, banks won't even look at their loan application. That if given a pre-qualified loan based on income payment flows, because we also do the payments for these platforms, it, it it's incredibly transparent. There's no risk of late fees or... Erroneously missed payments, you create a flywheel of growth for those for those small businesses. What do you guys think? I mean, can Adyen actually
0: take on people like Block and Stripe and PayPal? Is that the is this the is this the play? Like, are, are big organization's beachheads, do something amazing, start pivoting into competition landscape, and you know expand out your revenue opportunities. I mean, that sounds like a sounds like a good
4: strategy. But do you think they can pull this one off, Charlie? I think. The banking one is probably the most intriguing one because um, I, I think I'm curious to see what kind of use cases and what type of <coughs> merchants uh, will want to ad- adopt and embed sort of banking, and that's kind of then the most moving a little bit. It's like the bath space, I think. Mm. Uh, the capital product made sense. I actually didn't even know they didn't have one. I thought yeah. I just assumed mm-hmm. that they would have launched one while. I think merchants want to merchants want to be able to uh, give access to capital. They have uh, you know, interesting data points around. Uh, that consumer or kind of the people buying from them. And so I, I just assume they had that already. So that was a little bit of a surprise to me.
3: I think it's interesting though, uh, the FinTech landscaper, I think small businesses continue to be one of the perpetually underserved. And so I thought it was quite interesting that they're trying to expand um, into the SME segment, particularly where um, Block and PayPal have been stronger historically, whereas um, Adyen's focus on the higher end. Um, but again, you know, I've done research around the world for small businesses when I was at Intuit, and the number one pain point for small businesses perpetually is access to capital, and like 70% of them have been rejected for loans. So it continues to be a huge problem space. Whether they are well-positioned in it is is a different question. Clearly, all the payments data they have is very fresh, current, and allows for better decisioning than typically you'd have the banks, but I think the verdict's out on On whether they're well positioned to do it.
0: Yeah. I mean, as you say, these two could be quite easily the top jobs to be done, sort of problems to solve for in that sense, in terms of giving people access to capital, but then giving people access to spend the money in your organization without giving them access to everything in that sense. So it's, Mm -hmm. uh, it sort of makes sense. But I mean, I guess these are sort of features rather than sort of a product that is a business on a standalone, because we're sort of seeing people do, you know, branded checking accounts for businesses that it, it's never really going to get to a point where it's a fully fledged business in its own right, right? So are they just sort of completing out the capability to really serve this market?
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, it's a natural extension given that they already have the payment flows, which is the heart of it. And all of the data, There's, it's it's a natural thing for them to turn on those capabilities as opposed to building, you know, a standalone business, which an independent fintech would have to do. So I think it's, it's certainly worth a shot. I'm sure they've tested it um, and and we'll look at closely at that take they get.
0: Yeah. I mean, Lindsay, the sort of embedded finance places, uh, I mean, this is getting bigger and bigger and investments are getting bigger and bigger in this space as well. I mean, we're, we're sort of seeing numbers saying we're going to get to 7 trillion of transactions through it in twenty 2020, twenty by 2026, which is not that far away. Um, is this just directionally correct for that?
2: I don't know if it's directionally correct for Adyen. All of us have the same sentiment. Oh, it makes some sense. Their vision and their roadmap was about enabling and SME if this was a feature that was just ignored over the years since they've gone public I mean Europe is their one of their largest markets and you have local challenger banks that serve that market why why now my curiosity is really about if this was core to what they wanted like, was this the vision that they set out in the beginning and said we're going to do all these things with the merchant and this is actually a part of that roadmap and strategically now is the time for xyz internal reason right that's my my ultimate curiosity here but if they're not if they didn't think about that in the beginning then they're just going to continue to be playing from behind from a stripe and from a square and square was always about that right Mm -hmm. they've continued to move in that direction as they close their ecosystem i mean actually not mentioned here is amazon right First and foremost, it is to keep money within the marketplace that is Amazon by being able to process and serve and then leveraging the, the insights that they have with the data. Hey, I can advance you money. We're going into the holiday season. You need inventory because this is when you're you spike. So offering capital, but they didn't even announce that, right? They just started just doing it. And and to announce this, my curiosity is also, is this implemented? Is this live? Do we have
3: happy merchants And again, going back to where those companies and those competitors are strong, right? Block is historically very strong here. Adyen has strength in Europe. And so, again, there might be room for for both. I don't think that Europe, um, by any means, is a a market that's fully saturated on the small business side.
0: Does does the sort of licensing capability that they have offer them some sort of advantage? Because obviously, you know, PayPal and Stripe don't have that, whereas Adyen do. You know, is that a... Is that a help or a hindrance in this sense? Because, I mean, there's a lot of players trying to take as many slices of financial services without getting regulated. So is it an overhead that'll slow them down or is it a, an advantage?
3: I think that the oversight that comes with the banking license is going to prove very challenging um, and in terms of speed. And so there is a reason why all of these other companies have intentionally not had the banking license. And so, again, it goes back to what Adyen's vision is around um, what they're trying to enable from a customer experience. You can achieve that other ways. I personally see lots of downsides of having the banking license. But again, is there some bigger um, play that they have where that's required? I don't know.
4: What do you think, Charlie? I don't. Know. I don't know. I'm. I think my my other read of the, of the news is I think to Lindsay's point around I, I think Adyen is known for having bigger customers, uh, especially when you compare against the stripes and the squares of the world, right? Where they've historically started in the SMBs or tech-enabled businesses, and Adyen's was you know we're going after enterprise. Uh, we're an enterprise-grade payment processor, and so I think the the focus and the emphasis on the SME. Uh, part of this is interesting, where it doesn't seem to me the most natural ideal customer profile fit for for Adyen. They're not, not excited, but, but maybe it's a you know it's some sort of signal around their excitement or interest on kind of moving out and expanding their TAM in that market.
0: Yeah, I mean it's interesting to move from the sort of big organizations that make all the money to the smaller ones that don't. You know, mm-hmm. usually people try and go the other way, don't they? In that sense, but
2: then they are, and Stripe is here. They traditionally weren't. Yeah, twenty twenty. crazy. This, yeah, right. Some money 2020 nerd stuff right there.
0: <laughs> I mean, I haven't seen many of them out and about, but there's definitely a meeting there's a where presence, there's lots of stuff. And happening, it's, yeah. it's
2: embedded finance. Like, yeah. That is what it is. Even Amazon has a checkout store. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh. I feel like we're giving you back, backstage information here of, uh, of money 2020. There's definitely a lot more people with meeting rooms than I'm seeing with badgers in that sense, in terms of people talking and Business taking place in that sense.
2: Oh, everybody is here to have meetings. Everyone's been fully There's even more activity outside the
3: hall than there is. Oh, that's that's, 100%. I make it cost prohibitive.
0: And that's before you even get to the casinos as well.
3: (laughs) (laughs) That's where the real deal-making happens.
0: Well, it's where definitely my losses get racked up, (laughs) to be honest with you, but that's a whole other story. All right, uh, we better move on. Uh, There was a story that was picked up that um, somebody on the panel knows a lot about in this one. So uh, it's picked up in Accounting Today and a lot of other places as well. TaxBit releases cost basis interchange for digital asset reporting and compliance. Uh, TaxBit, which makes tax and accounting solutions for digital assets, has debuted a new cost basis interchange solution for reports and compliance on digital assets. While regulations on traditional equities and securities require the sharing of cost basis and acquisition information when assets are moved between brokers, there has not been such a requirement for cryptocurrency and other digital tokens However, the new U.S. regulations will require digital asset brokers to exchange cost basis information on a broker to broker level and require an entirely new transfer of cost basis to the IRS uh, in the broker to non-broker context. Uh, Lindsay, I think we should just come to you and get you to explain that in a greater level of detail in that sense. But what are you guys up to?
3: yeah, so one of the biggest challenges um with digital assets is there's a lot of uh, transfers across. So people are moving from one wallet to another wallet. And today, no information goes with that. And so when an individual, even if they want to be compliant in filing their taxes and talk about their gains and losses, it's very hard for them to do so. right? If you think about the price volatility of like what I bought that bitcoin, or that ethereum that i had transferred and so missing cost basis is a really challenge for um the consumer just trying to figure out what their gains and losses are and then also for all the exchanges right because they're getting lots of their customers contacting them and for that information and so this is a new solution that we're launching with the industry we have 12 founding partners which are the large exchanges to basically provide that information so we can tell um, when Lindsay is, cha- is moving something from her uh, Binance uh, account to Gemini, for example, that there will be an automated flag and the information for cost basis will just go with it. So it makes it just a lot easier in the ecosystem to accommodate all of those transfers that are moving around. I'm curious, um, does this account for losses that happen as a result of fraud?
2: So one of the biggest problems right now is the bridges and your double. Exposing your networks, can I report my losses?
3: Well, so this is basically providing the information, right, so that you can see very clearly. And then, obviously, there needs to be accurate calculations on top of it. There's identity checking that is going with it as well, which should should eliminate some of the fraud that we're seeing in the system. But again, we're focused on a very narrow pain point, but it's a very big one that that plagues the industry. Yeah, into it. I love that. uh, (laughs) Exactly.
0: I love that you said gains and losses. Yes. I think similar similar to my casino experience, I'm just looking at a lot of losses right yes, now. Yes, exactly.
3: Uh, a little fun fact, you know, last year, um, it's estimated that about only 10% of people who had crypto gains reported that on their tax statements and so I would expect that this year we'll see a lot more people reporting their crypto losses um, as it factors on the tax filing
0: yeah there's there's probably like write-off potential there yeah, exactly. so, yeah that wow yes. suddenly it's like an asset that I have all of these losses that I, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I see yeah the
3: silver lining on it all. yeah
4: bizarrely what do you think Charlie well, I, I think it's um I, I know what know we're still kind of in this like uncertain regulatory environment when it leads to crypto but the IRS has made it very clear as to how they yeah. think about crypto and uh yeah I think they've said if you're making money from it. Yeah. We're going to come and we'll take we'll come some, that at yeah. some point. We're going to come in, and if you don't report it, we're going to come in, and we're going to go out at of the exchanges, tapping a baseball that bat out. in their hands while they're doing it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So I, I think that uh, it's definitely a, a positive move on kind of for the centralized exchanges perspective, right? Where they have to do this, consumers have to do this. It's a huge pain point. I, I had to do this last year. I ended up paying a person uh, just to reconcile my transactions I have no clue how to do this. Uh, that poor person. Uh, I yeah. know uh, they made a lot of money, so I think they're doing okay. Uh, and now you don't have to. In that sense, I mean, uh, to Charlie's point, though, I mean,
0: obviously the regulations in flux in terms of the changing around it. So how are you? How are you building for a? very fluid set of regulations in that sense.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's a combination, of course, um, you know, subject matter experts we have that work closely with the IRS um, and policymakers so we can see how the thinking is evolving. And even though we're waiting the very specific details on the implementation of how the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act will get implemented Um, and then building our technology to be uh, very fluid, um, as we know. I mean, that's something that all of us in FinTech are, are trying to accommodate. Um, But again, we have enough of the framework that that passed in the law that specifies that this will be a Mm -hmm. requirement. And so the exchanges uh, recognize that they suffer from the pain point, both from again, from the user experience, that's a problem to be solved today, in addition to the forthcoming compliance that they'll have.
0: Um, One of the other things that you guys talked about uh, this week, actually, is you're off to the UK as well. And I mean, is it the IRS and a very similar sort of HMRC sort of saying we're going to come and you know, start getting some taxes for this stuff, or what was the what was the thinking?
3: Yeah, you know, I mean, frankly, uh, we have a lot of pull from international clients, and so this is one where we enabled gain loss for uh, PayPal and their UK customers, and and again, I think this is the beginning of us expanding to many markets because the need is common, right? In addition, the all the revenue um, tax authorities in the various jurisdictions compare notes, right? So they're all talking with the IRS and they're um, comparing notes across the different governments. So again, the local implementation in a country probably will be specific, but expect to see a lot of commonality as well.
0: Very, very cool. Uh, If you want to hear a little bit more about Taxbit's big plans uh, in this space, uh, as well as their market expansion, keep an eye out for the spotlight interview that myself and Lindsay did yesterday. It'll be appearing over on the 11FS YouTube channel all right. Uh, now's sort of time for uh, moving into the next section. Oh my goodness. I can't believe I'm reading this out loud. We're calling the big click energy.
7: Ooh, Lin- wow. Lin-
0: Lindsay, can you believe I uh, Beyonce. just, just to, just to kind of put it out there, the, the Ron Burgundy nature of, of myself in that one. I will literally read whatever the producers tell me to read yeah. on that one. I think even Laura's embarrassed of me. So, um, so uh, it's going to be a bit of a quick fire round on some of the more clickworthy news in this week. Uh, let's get into it with some other stories announced around the Vegas bubble then. So Chippercash's new UGX virtual card lets you make online payments. Chippercash, the cross-border payments app, announced at Money2020 that it has launched a new card capability in Uganda. Uh, the Chippo UGX virtual card is pre-subsidized and reloaded virtual cards that can be utilised from global online payments uh, or financial transactions and exchanges in Uganda. The card can be topped up and funded right from the client's Chipper wallet um, and we managed to catch up with Chipper Cash's VP of brand marketing, uh, Hassan Luogo, who uh, told us a little bit more about what they're up to and why this wasn't possible before.
7: So our virtual card
0: in Uganda is really interesting as, a, as an unlocked opportunity for Ugandans because there is no bank account required, right? So in Uganda is a primarily mobile money driven country. Um, there are over 30 million mobile money uh, accounts in Uganda of a population around 45 million, right? Um, so as the default payment method, it's it's mobile money is a is an awesome way to do P2P transactions but it has ser- like major limitations on a as a financial service platform. So launching a card in Uganda that allows anybody with a mobile money account to sign up for
7: chipper connect their payment method and instantly have access within 60 seconds to a free card that they can shop with internationally is the is the big uh uh thing that we're unlocking in in Uganda today.
0: Uh, it's a super interesting one, isn't it? I mean, the the point there around allowing Ugandans to to essentially shop internationally at that point. I mean, we're we're sort of seeing a lot of things happening in in the region more broadly. But I mean, it, the sort of internationalization of uh, such a, a significant
4: population size is is pretty interesting. What do you think? I think it's um, <coughs> uh, the kind of equivalent I think that we see in the US is sort of kind of square cash playbook rather cash app playbook rather uh, where. Uh, it looks like a bank account, it smells like a bank account, but you don't see anywhere that it's a bank account, right? Uh, but the ability to take in money, to spend money wherever you want it, to be able to start to invest, uh, I, I think Chipper Cash's strategy is really interesting around driving that type of adoption without having to have a bank account, right? Uh, you're kind of putting your funds in a mobile wallet and then you're offloading that into a virtual wallet, that virtual card you can probably load it up into your wallet, uh, your phone, etc., and start to spend anywhere in the world is... Starts to unlock a lot of things.
0: Yeah, I wonder how it sort of changes around the regulation side of things as well in terms exactly, of protections yeah. around payments and everything that goes there. So, because uh, obviously, I, I think the, the the protections from a regulation perspective in Uganda around uh, you know what happens if your money disappears or whatever the the recourse is quite limited, I, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe this gives a, a, an extra level of protection as well. We'll have to get them back on the show and and talk about it a little bit more. Uh, Another story that was up, which was Fintech Marketa pushes into banking for next growth phase. So payments provider Marketa is launching a suite of new banking products in a major push to deepen its relationships with customers, which includes Coinbase, Uber and DoorDash. Uh, The new banking as a service platform includes 40 new application programming interfaces that will be offered through Marketa's existing banking partners. Um, customers uh, will be able to go with demand deposit accounts, such as checking accounts, uh, early pay capabilities, instant funding, along with a bunch of other stuff that they're talking about as well. Um, Most of the new banking features are already up and running, and Marketa expects all products to be fully operational by the end of this year. To find out a little bit more about this, we grabbed a few minutes with Marketa's Simon Califf to ask what is the biggest barrier to stopping consumers making permanent switch to digital banking in the US right now? Same from him.
7: So at Money 2020, here at Marquetta, we announced Marquetta for Banking, which is a set of banking services for any firm, whether it is a financial services entity or not, to build banking products that get embedded in their existing product. We're very excited about the launch because it takes banking everywhere. A lot of people were talking about banks are gonna disappear. They're absolutely going nowhere. Actually, they're going everywhere. And that's why we're excited about Marketa for Banking. So a lot of folks today use traditional banking products and they're considering a switch to digital banking. And it's happening. It is happening faster for the younger generation, but it's gonna take some time for the rest to catch up. In the tech industry and in the fintech industry, we always exaggerate what we can do in a year, but underestimate what we can do in a decade. So I'm willing to say today that within a decade, everybody's gonna be digital first when it comes to banking.
0: And if we have to wait for another decade, I'm not sure I can keep uh, <laughs> telling people this stuff is going to be uh, be happening. If it, like if I'm doing this, if we're doing this podcast ten years from now at Money 2020 Vegas, and we this failed, stuff, we failed. yeah, we're like we failed, yeah, but uh, they're not listening. But that uh, I, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? I, again, look, we talked a little bit earlier on around organisations starting in one place and uh, and using their the momentum of that into others to to sort of meet more needs. This makes a great deal of sense from Marquetta, doesn't it? They've, they've had really decent traction. They've got you know good customer bases, some really significant organizations there as well. It just seems sensible to start broadening out that offering. But what do you think, Lindsay?
3: Yeah, no, I think it makes a ton of sense. But obviously, the, their customers all have existing baking relationships. And what we see is that it, it's... I would say that most of them do, unless if you're getting a, a sure. net new um, creation. So the question is, is how do they use the payments um, capability and the data to provide a superior uh, adjacent banking product? And so assuming that they are able to do that, I think they'll have a compelling product. And we know that they tend, um, the fintechs tend to be more innovative and more customer experience focused than the incumbent banks. But but I think that's going to be really the, the question at hand, whether they do that.
0: Yeah, I think the, the needs of, uh, and again, look, we talked about this in the, uh, the, the, the guide, the story around Adyen, it's like, are people kind of going down market in that sense? Uh, I don't mean uh, in a, a derogatory way to, to any you know, future Marquetta customers, but I mean it in the sense of, you know, bass is a very broad thing and what a fintech startup needs from it versus what a big bank needs from it is, uh, is rather different in that sense. But uh, you're, you're nodding violently in agreement there, Lindsay.
2: Don't become complacent. I think that every bank relationship is going to be challenged over time. As service providers in the infrastructure space, it is incumbent upon us to continue to listen to our customers. Again, some of the accounts that they already work with, those relationships are they can be ephemeral. If you're charging fees for things that don't necessarily align with your your volume and your structure, you've got a stripe in this market already. Of what as well. So, of going after that is hello, we're also here. We're still here. And we have this capability and functionality and the cost basis for you as a customer of our existing product suite is, is going to be beneficial to you. Everyone's going to go back to contracts. We're in wartime right now. We're at somewhat recessionary pressure globally. We've got macroeconomic problems. You are going to try and cut costs from your business. And if you look at your payments volume and your transaction, like that's, that's where you're going to find some opportunity to really get get thin on what you're spending money on. And we're all obviously paying attention to our margins, right? For an end
3: customer, it's a great move. Yeah, in addition to the fees, I think you're right. I mean, the incumbent banks aren't as well-placed with the technology to enable these great online customer experiences that Marquetta's customers are accustomed to or want to deliver. So that, again, that is another area where they're probably really advantaged versus the incumbent banks.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting one at the point of uh, banks giving up, you know, uh, JP talking about seven billion of transformation uh, investment, and the you know actually at, some, at what point do you stop trying to build these things and just start using all of the providers that are out there, and and really I guess that's the changing narrative of the industry to so a certain degree in terms of you know fintechs not really just B two C, it's it's the B two B bit that's really fundamentally changing the fabric of financial services, right? So what do you think, Charlie? Is this the is this sort of Marquetta just doing what big companies do that are successful doing something and find something else to be successful in?
4: I think it just makes sense. I mean, marquette uh, it's going public, needs to diversify, right? Like 70% of revenue being cash app, right? A kind of uh, high concentration of the customer base, but they have great customers, right? And then those customers want to offer uh, more and more products. And I think it makes sense where, hey, you've, you've built a great relationship with them on the card issuing business. Why not give them, and you have relationships with the sponsor banks, you're building that network out, why not offer and kind of extend it out and, and continue, continue to expand out the TAM of your market?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think particularly where you're seeing customers of yours in one space go to other people for other things, yeah. then it just seems like a Why? seems like an easy thing to sell them something <laughs> else, doesn't it, in that sense? but uh, Alright, we're going to have to wrap up at that stage, but there is a bit of an... And finally, for anybody who uh, has a bit of FOMO that you weren't being able to make it out to Vegas, um, we did cover a whole heap in this show, but uh, a few quick fire questions for, for you guys here in the room. Um, what's been your personal highlight of Money 2020 so far? Uh, drunken debauchery in, uh, in, in the, <laughs> like, foreigner... What? What? Like? What? What were you? What did you particularly enjoy? My
2: answer is lame. It was Rohit Chopra, the CFPB. It was epic for our industry. 1033 of Dodd-Frank, the rulemaking process has been underway. Atomic wrote a letter during the AMPR process. Of course, I did. I'm a huge nerd. However, we need to see the definition of financial data be established for all of us to be able to build products and services that are intuitive based on actual financial data that the consumer today doesn't have access to. You have open banking in Europe you have one regulator, FCA. We've got this patchwork of people dipping their hands in everybody else's pots right now. We need people to pay attention to what is happening with 1033. And I'm very optimistic. Also, the junk fees, overdraft fees, I'm on a a mission. Mm -hmm. I don't want to see those exist in our lifetime. And today there was a new guidance that came out from the CFPB. This might be, you know, against the Consumer Protection Act. This is game-changing for us, y'all.
0: I mean, it's an interesting one on on that basis, though. As you say overdraft fees shouldn't exist, but they exist because people make money from them. Therefore, they're going to keep them to exist, right? In that sense, because I mean, you could easily write something that moved money from your savings account to your checking account to stop you doing it. But when that's how you make money, then, uh, but that's quite, I mean, the antagonistic business models is probably the thing to, to get to, isn't it?
2: I will pay a service fee for a service that is rendered. You are not providing service when you make me feel like a degenerate for accidentally overdrafting my account. And it has more to do with me moving money from one place to another to capitalize on a, on a service that I'm not getting offered from my current institution, like a high yield savings account. Yeah. Right. And the ACH in this country takes two days to move into one account. My ACH for my payroll doesn't come in for another two days. It's just a misalignment between bill pay and payday. And atomic assault. Yeah.
0: Very nice. nice. It's uh, a it's you. a it's an in, uh, an interesting one when your marketing is about being on the side of customers, but then you're penalising them for using the products that you've sold. To them. Mm-hmm. So it's them. it's a confusing industry we're working in, isn't it? But uh, Charlie, what was your what was your highlight before we get Linty sort of ranting again? In that you know,
4: like there was, I, I, I do think the yeah was this your highlight? Linty's ranting. Linty's ranting. Linty's ranting. <laughs> yes, very I mean seeing everyone in person, right? I think that uh, especially over the past Rushing. few years or so, that's just been missing, and I think. Um, excited just to see more people in person. Yeah.
3: Yeah, the energy has been great here this year. And I think, um, you know, if you just read the headlines every day around like the funding levels are down, valuations are down, you know, the macroeconomic headwinds, crypto winner, it can be very depressing. But the energy here is palpable, right? There's great innovation, great announcements coming out and just really good work being done in the space advancing us. And so that was reinvigorating, I would say, and also just reassuring
0: what was the uh, i mean there was a lot of buzzwords that we've we've seen being used on the floor in various different guises but uh, what what's the who who's trying to get v c money with all the crazy buzzwords at this stage is there any that we think we should be sort of striking off the list that people aren't allowed to use anymore or is it
4: i've always kind of hated web three uh, as an accurate, <laughs> as a as a as a description of the industry right uh yeah. ah, well. it's just it's just marketing isn't it's a, it? it it's an amazing it's, piece of marketing yeah. it's a, it's the best piece of marketing that's come out of you know, probably Andreessen or something over the past few years. Right?
3: It comes with a lot of ambiguity, right? Lots, Lots of, of different interpretations. I sort I of, of it view is. it as
4: a oh, it's, it's you know, crypto was kind of bad, not great, but Web3, ooh, mm. that looks interesting. Yeah, right? let's have let's another read go. It. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> call it something else. Banks then are a not scared. banks. Mackenzie
0: yeah. can sell that and it's great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're just jealous. All uh, well, that uh,
4: management consultancy revenue in that sense.
2: <laughs> uh, I haven't heard a lot of Web 3 here, though. No,
4: not that um, much this
0: year. Refreshing.
2: Yeah. A lot yeah. of
4: Web 2.5.
0: Winter. Mm.
4: Don't know how I feel about that, but...
2: What? <laughs>
0: no. That's not a uh, thing. I mean, I I see when people say that's Web 2.5, like a diss though. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> oh, you're not... Yeah, you're kind not, of you're not Yeah, you're, you're not cool enough night for night it. <laughs> yeah, but uh, you're on the right direction in yeah. that sense. Um, for anybody who's not here, like surviving Vegas, like any sort of... If you're going to come out to 2020 next year, what would be the... I mean, other than Hydrate, which seems to be like a favorite of everybody, but...
3: I was going to say also just pay attention to logistics. I mean, you know, not only uh, the the hall here, but... You know, it's a trek across town trying to hit all these happy hours and events and stuff. There, there's a lot of logistic planning.
0: Yeah. I think I've, my step count is exactly. like off the charts <laughs> we right now. So. if you're a
3: woman. Yes. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, my, no car- my calves have uh, have been very grateful for my sneaker, comfy sneaker ad- addiction <laughs> in that sense.
4: But Charlie, surviving Vegas, any tips? Uh, make a plan to go outside at some point. <laughs> Oof, yes. Um, uh, otherwise-
2: We yes. had a balcony in our suite.
4: Oh, that's great. Yeah, wow, that's hair. a nice suite. Um, uh, otherwise, uh, the only sky you see is the one in the, in the Grand Canals in the Venetian, and that's a little sad. Isn't that
0: trippy? Yes. Like, it really was. It, I, it broke
4: my, I stood there sort of motionless for a couple of minutes.
0: Like, <laughs> like it was breaking my brain, but yeah. Uh, but yeah.
2: Take space for yourself when you need Need it? Listen to your body. And we did a wellness retreat in our in our atomic oasis, and we had massage chairs and and things oriented around being present. And that's the thing that Money Twenty Twenty was built on. It's connections. It's people. Meet new people. I didn't see Charlie during this time. That's a good thing because I see him often. And the other thing is, I um, didn't see our, I, mean, I didn't, no, see, no, I didn't see our CEO no no. very much. But that's the thing: the less I see him, that means we're we're blocking and tackling each other's ground. That's a good thing. If we're in a room for more than five minutes together, then that means that. We're I didn't plan. I didn't. I wasn't strategic enough. Like she,
0: put, she pulled that back. It sounded offensive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, <laughs> and then, I'm staring at you. Yeah. I'm like, oh, She's, she's going to turn it around. Mind. She did. She turned well, it around. Carly. He's yeah. part of
2: our advisory board. He's a legend. Excellent. Are you kidding me? Well, but I get opportunities to meet you. Everybody wants to meet you or people want to meet me or people want to meet you. Let's not hang out with the same people and be the clique. You know, yeah. I mean, I mean, people.
0: I'm, I'm. I hear what you're saying, but I think that next advisory board is going to be a little bit tougher than that. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be real. It's based on the how this began. Seven yeah. I
2: bought a flight and I just showed up. I didn't know anybody, and I I walked into a happy hour and I thought it was because it was a CB Insights analyst, former fund. They're like, oh, analysts don't come here, and I just I met people organically, and I think that kindness makes this ecosystem vibrant and bringing people in that have never been here before. Like, make it easy. We need inclusion and that is bringing more people into the fold. This is the largest money 2020 of all time crazy, because we have more people in it and people are what are going to get these products and services and technology through tuition and adopted.
0: So, did you, um, you guys must have saw the the announcement around Money twenty twenty going to Bangkok next year. Oh, I didn't Woo-hoo. see that. Did you oh, see that? No. Nice. Yeah, am yeah. um, like Amsterdam, Vegas, and then Bangkok. It's Uh-oh. like um, I sort of joked. It's like they're they're trying to recreate Hangover movies.
3: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. very Definitely.
0: Are. So uh, wow, am I going to be seeing you guys in in Bangkok then? Do you think? If
2: if. Producer Laura is going to lock in the <laughs> podcast now. We're there.
0: That done. And on that note, we probably better wrap up the show before we get into too much trouble in that sense. Thank you so much for listening uh, and everybody for, for turning out for this. Lindsay, where can people learn a little bit more about you and your company?
2: I'm Lindsay at atomicfi.com and LC Davis 1225 on Twitter.
4: 1225.
2: Christmas. It's my birthday. Oh, yeah. Thanks.
4: Charlie. Allo.com. I'm Charlie at Allo.com. C H A R L E Y. People forget the spelling. Uh, and also on Twitter, Charlie Ma Twitter. Very cool. Lindsay?
3: Yeah, and, and uh, Taxbit.com and uh, Lindsay Argalis on LinkedIn.
4: Very good. Uh, as for me, you can always
0: find me on lurking on LinkedIn predominantly these days. Uh, thank you so much for listening, everybody. Join the conversations over on social media or email us on podcast at 11fs.com. If you've got any feedback or you just want to get involved, thank you so much to everybody. Goodbye. Mm-hmm.